If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Dr. Erica here, and it's time for another best of episode. This one is near and dear to my heart and focuses on getting better health and wellness. This episode features clips from Fertility and Advocating for Reproductive Rights of Black Women with Shaquita Lockley, Addiction, Substance Abuse, and Compassion with Dr. Centrell Crawford, Better Health and Being an Untraditional Doctor with Dr. Renee Matthews, Keys to Wellness with Dr. Jada Moore Ruffin, and Perimenopause, Menopause, and Reproductive Health with Dr. Lakeisha McMillan. Shaquita, Dr. Centrell, Dr. Renee, Dr. Jada, and Dr. Lakeisha bring the fire because they are all relatable, knowledgeable, but they still tell you like it is. They are certified truth tellers. It doesn't matter where you are in your wellness journey or your gender. There's something for you in this episode. There are some definite takeaways and let me tell you how we share them in Better Nation. All you have to do is post the shareable tidbit on social media with the hashtag Better Nation. It's that simple. Now let's get to the episode. This clip features Shaquita Lockley. She is the executive producer and director of the documentary Eggs Over Easy, Black Women and Fertility, and she's a fierce advocate for reproductive health. This clip will talk about the things that aren't intuitive about reproductive health, including adoption, miscarriages, and IVF, the importance of safe spaces, along with the importance of mental health care in your women's health team. Whether you identify as a woman or not, whether you are dealing with reproductive or fertility issues or not, this will not only arm you with knowledge, but give you additional tools to be empathic and an ally. Let's get to the clip. Better with Dr. Erica. Um, when somebody is going through trauma, like I knew my friends, line sisters, um, I knew of miscarriages, but I never knew the details of what actually was happening. Mm -hmm. So to find out things like, um, in our country, if your baby isn't breathing, it's not a live birth. That doesn't count against your, um, maternity leave. You got to go back to work. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I could not understand how somebody who actually like this was a delivery. Yeah. How did you have to? There was no time. I mean, so with Tanya, she's um one of the one of the women in the film. Um, you could take your regular sick days, but like that six weeks of maternity leave, that was for live births. Now, some states and some com companies have changed that uh, recently, and some countries have made it countrywide. Our, our country has not. Okay. So you can have a whole baby or you can miscarry and you still got to go to work. I never knew that because that is like you still 
delivered, but you don't get the leave for delivery. You get the leave for a live birth. So in addition to not being able to go home with your baby and the fact that your body physically <laughs> is ripped mm-hmm. apart because you have to deliver. Um, what does that even mean? You have to go back to work. Like nothing ever happened and you just have to show up. I didn't know that. So there were things like that where I knew on a high level what the person may, who was my friend may have yeah. gone through. I didn't know the the details because we weren't like in the weeds in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of thing was just shocking to me. Um, what was happening every day. Like even with the ones who were doing IVF, you have to go to the, your doctor's appointments every mm-hmm. couple of days. But if you didn't want to tell your HR that you were trying to do this, then what does that mean? Because you have to leave work. So mm-hmm. they're like sneaking out of work to go to the doctor because they don't want to announce because they may have gone through several unsuccessful IVFs. And it's just a personal medical situation right. that they should not have to announce. But you do have to announce it because who has that much leave to just take off from work to go get shots or yeah. to go get your temperature checked and, and that sort of thing. So the details of it. I, I didn't know the details of it. Um, even with adoption, I had no idea. You can get turned down for something as simple as the, so one couple who um, we're going to do something with down the road, we just didn't have enough time within the, the windows of okay. this documentary, but she and her husband um, tried to adopt and they did all the classes and the people come mm-hmm. to the house and do all the tests. The swimming pool fence was a foot and a half shorter than the requirement. And so this family couldn't be an adoptive family. She ended up adopting it from, from a person, like a one-to-one adoption. Okay. But an agency, like within our state, they were not approved. This is a two-parent home, like a PhD. So, so many degrees in that house. Wonderful people, active in their communities. And their swimming pool fence, I think it was three and a half feet and it needed to be five five feet mm. um and so they wouldn't they got booted out and they would need to fix the fence and start the process over wow. that is crazy to me so i think when we look at from a high level yes i knew these stories because i know the i knew knew when it was happening with mostly everybody in the film but the details of it i had no idea and all of that was shocking because what it means is while we're expecting them to like be the best person on their job and to be the choir director and to run the links group. And we're expecting this high level of um, activity from these people, these women. And we don't know, like she just miscarried. And one of my, um, one of my group chats after I did a screening um, back in er, middle 2020, after I did a screening, one of my closest friends in the group chat was like, "Um, yeah, I miscarried a couple weeks ago. It just never occurred to like have that conversation. And I'm like, well, we could have been bringing you dinner. Like there's so many ways we could have supported, but we just didn't know. And that is what's happening every day in somebody's office, um, at somebody's school, at somebody's hospital. There's a woman there who is having the worst week of her life because of whatever her personal loss has been. And our expectation is that they are on 100% every single day. And we don't have grace for the things we don't know, which is the stuff that's happening in these women's lives because they don't get time off from work. They still got to go to work. That was an entire word. Yeah. Or two words. And there's no, (laughs) no reason for it. And there's no explanation. All you can do is sit with the fact that this is happening in in companies around this country 
every single day. Well, and that's one of the things I think that is is huge because naturally it's easy to not know how much this is going on because it's almost like there's either this, it's not simply stigma because part of it I think is stigma, but there's also just a part of not necessarily negative. It's just like, these are things we just don't talk about. So I guess that is stigma. It's, we just don't talk about these things. And I think the hardest thing to hear about it is beyond just the work aspect of this expectation, all of these expectations to do all of the things is that there are times where people could possibly support someone that are lost because you didn't let anybody know. Mm -hmm. And there are people that would love to love on you that can't because they don't know. And I feel like that's one of the hugest things about your documentary is I just remember when it showed on OWN and everybody in my timeline was talking about it, men, women, everyone. And I think it's important to have these conversations started so people feel more comfortable having them in real life Mm -hmm. so that when people hit these obstacles or these challenges, they're not stuck trying to manage all of it alone. Yep, that part. Um, one of the therapists who I thought it was important that if we're telling the, all of the story, like mental health needed to be mm-hmm. a part of it, a part of the conversation. So Robin May, Robin um, went to Clark Atlanta University, um, and she's a licensed, she's a therapist. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she talks about in the film, which I just thought was profound is that we put ourselves on this island isolation island um and so all these things that are going on with our personal lives we're telling ourselves these stories and there's nobody there to like unravel it to to put up a mirror to say just because you think that it doesn't mean that that's true um and you're not the only person who had this situation there are thousands and thousands of women who've had the same situation as you. You are not by yourself if you just let somebody in. But many times because of the shame and just all the, the yeah. um, stress that's attached to our reproduction, um, our reproductive issues, we don't talk about it. And that puts us on isolation island and nobody wins there. No. And, and I love that you also mentioned that these experiences are traumatic because yes. earlier on another episode, I talked about kind of looking at what is trauma because a lot of times people think trauma is simply you were raped or molested or in Hurricane Katrina or those kinds of things. And and these kinds of issues and challenges and all of these losses can be very traumatic and just looking at how that can impact someone's mental health. I mean, some of it's logical that you can just extrapolate out if you're sitting having to give your shots all the time or you're not able to get pregnant and you're looking to get pregnant or you keep losing pregnancies. And I always think of a a friend who her and her husband were having knockdown drag outs on their honeymoon because they had an argument and didn't have sex when she was ovulating. Oh, okay. Yeah, but but it's like it turns into all yeah. of these different things. And especially yes. if you're getting some of these reproductive treatments and you're getting yeah. hormones, you're not necessarily going to be feeling like yourself anyway because these hormones mm-hmm. make everybody feel super wonky. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
just looking at some statistics that nearly 41% of women who are having infertility have depression and almost 87% have anxiety. And I think a lot of times people will think that I'm not so, I'm not so down. I want to kill myself and think, oh, I'm fine. Or I'm not so anxious. I can't leave the house. And that's one of the reasons I've actually even created my practice in the way that you can get help for anything. You don't have to have one of the top tier, more serious mental health conditions because sometimes it's you might not meet criteria for major depressive disorder or a panic disorder or PTSD or a generalized anxiety disorder or something, but you could benefit greatly from some support. And I would start encouraging people to start building teams because sometimes a lot of times when you're dealing with issues of around your reproductive system, be it the initial issues such as endometriosis or fibroids or something else, or having difficulty being able to go on your pregnancy journey, is that a lot of times people will look at having an OBGYN on their team or a maternal fetal medicine doctor on their team. But I think it's important to start looking at adding a mental health professional on your team to help support you through that journey because it's difficult. And one of the things that we do as mental health professionals is we create safe spaces. And I think part of the things that put people on isolation island is they don't automatically feel like every space is safe to deal with what's going on. And we can create a safe space so that you can feel like you're not going to be judged and kind of work through your emotions. So number one, you feel better because you deserve it. Number two, Higher levels of stress never help anything in your body function better. So if you're you're trying to get pregnant, but you're stressed out or feel crappy in the process, you're not going to be, your, your reproductive system is not going to work at its best and you're going to probably have a shit ton of cortisol. And that's never fun. <laughs> a whole lot of cortisol never ends with <laughs> anything good. No, so that's I, one of the things that fibroids feeds off of. And I will also... Excuse me. I will also say it doesn't just have to be like in terms of needing mental health assistance or a therapist. That's not just for if you're trying to get pregnant. Um, so many of these diseases that we end up with um, is traumatizing all of it. So I had fibroids uh, from young from when I was probably in my mid 20s and the doctor just kept an eye on them. They were out of control by the time COVID hit, but I couldn't get a surgery because there wasn't an essential procedure. So I needed a therapy, a therapist. And I, I, um, you know, have no shame in that because what are you saying? These things have grown. So they, they were so large in my body that my um, uterus is the size of a six month pregnant person. So Mm. if I put on clothes, I'm like, Oh, I guess I picked up some weight. It wasn't, they were, there were fibroids everywhere. And that meant an invasive surgery where they cut your body open in half. I have an abdominal, um, surgery. So it went from the navel down where they have to cut your body open to take out these things. So like the, I'm like, this is body betrayal. What, why are these things growing besides the cortisol cortisol? Um, why are they even there? there? Why isn't there any research to help me? Why is when I went to the radiologist, her first response was you should just have a hysterectomy. Well, is it something wrong with my uterus? Is there a reason I should have a hysterectomy? Um, well, no, but if you don't want to have kids and you haven't had them by now, you could just go ahead. Well, then that becomes an elective procedure that I'm not interested in electing myself into if there's nothing wrong. Right. 
Um, so that required <laughs> a great deal of therapy because it was like triggering all of it. Every single, every doctor's appointment during that window of time was just awful. And then like staying in the, the hospital with the whole surgery, um, you couldn't have visitors cause you know, it was COVID yeah. by the time I, well, like high COVID surge by the time I could actually have the surgery. So you're just in there by yourself hoping for the best that requires therapy. So I would say especially if you have a womb um, or even if you don't, but you identify as a woman, like get yourself a therapist, get yourself a therapist because it's going to help give you peace of mind and talk you down off a ledge and just, um, just kind of help you know that you're not, you're not having random feelings that um, are out of the blue. None of it is out of the blue. There are reasons for all of it and you just have to get to the bottom of it so that you can find like helpful solutions to kind of walk your way out. I love that. I love you, Shaquita. <laughs> I just am trying to help the people. Like, do, does your insurance um, let you pay a copay to go see your therapist? Pay them a little 10, however many dollars you have to pay, and go see somebody. This episode is always so near and dear to my heart. In addition, the full assault on women's health makes understanding about women's health and reproductive health even more important. I love how Shaquita brings out issues that you may not automatically think of regarding sick leave, maternity leave, and community support. I can't even imagine what it would be like to go through the trauma of a miscarriage and have to immediately show back up to work. This episode is so important to remind us to hold space for conversations, to establish enough safety for people to share what they are really going through so we can be there to support them. I also love how the conversation included the importance of attending to your mental health around reproductive health miscarriages and infertility. You're gonna love Dr. Centrell. She is an adult psychiatrist that focuses on addiction recovery, who is also an author and consultant. Did I mention she's also a filmmaker? This clip delves into a compassionate conversation around substance abuse and addiction. I have a soft spot for when I have other psychiatrists on the show. Let me quit talking about it so we can get to the clip. Better with Dr. Erica. I know one thing you do do is a lot of work with addiction. What got you interested in working in addiction? You know, I, I, um, I'll be honest. Uh, so when I was getting my divorce, I started drinking. So, uh, and I realized when I went to get help for it, people were shunning me more than oh, wow. trying to help me. And then I realized people with addiction have that same problem. You know, nothing else was wrong with me, <laughs> you know? Uh, so why, when I trying to get help, you know, it's more of a, your fault, your fault. Well, it probably, well, my divorce probably was my fault, but everything that, if I'm trying to help myself, why can't I get help? And I mm -hmm. find that there's so much shame and struggle and, lack of resources for people who deal with addiction, whether it's a professional or it's a, it's someone who's on the streets, homeless person mm -hmm. that, you know, someone has to have compassion, you know? So that's how I started into it because at first, you know, I got just as frustrated with people with addiction as uh, everyone else, you know, they come in high, they're, you know, they say they want to change. They can't change. They're just, but sometimes, you know, people just need a little bit more of a, a listening ear. 
and maybe a little bit more of a plan. You know, it's really hard to change your behaviors if you're still in the same environment. You're still homeless. Mm -hmm. You still don't have money. You still don't, you know, your family has turned their back on you for reasons that may be valid. But, you know, if the only coping skill you have right now is to get high, then, you know, if you don't see any other options, if no one helps you see another option, then you won't change. So that's why I got interested in it. Well, and I, I definitely appreciate you being so open to share your story. And also that puts you in such a unique position to really be compassionate to some people that really need it. Because I, I won't lie, I know when we were prepping and we were talking about what some of the things you did was, and, and we were talking about opiates, I literally just worked at somewhere that I've, it's been so long since I've seen people that did this much heroin, like IV heroin, um, you know, it's like, do you use Percocets or Vicodins? Nah, use heroin. And it's like, I've worked I've and I live in an area where, where I'm from is like in the middle of the meth capital in the Midwest. I'm from Missouri. And then I remember when I trained how many people in Atlanta had, was were using crack. And one of the things I really appreciate for people that really have a passion for doing this kind of work is one of the hugest things I think that's important as psychiatrists and as physicians in general is to be able to be compassionate and non-judgmental mm-hmm. because I feel like there's so many spaces that people can walk into and be judged. So I'm just really thankful that you're doing this kind of work. Yeah, you know, and, and we also created more spaces. Like, we weren't just satisfied with the outside world judging us. Now we, we put it on the phone and we log into Facebook and all these other mediums and we're getting judged. We make a comment. Don't make a comment someone doesn't like. You are going to get bombarded. So people are having less compassion overall, I think. Um, um you know, I did a, uh, another podcast recently, uh, and I was doing my own research. You know, I actually, heroin, man, people, I'm getting people with fentanyl. Like, like IV fentanyl. Like, Jesus Christ. First of all, where did you get it? You know, let's start there. Where did you get it? Uh, I'm getting PCP. I'm getting all these drugs that, honestly, I haven't had, had exposure to in a while. Um, I'm in Philadelphia right now, and you know, one of the what I was going to say was one of the things people ask me, you know, about the opiate epidemic, um, as you know, oh, it's not uh, a black person thing, you know, black people, you know, they use crack, you know, actually, no, <laughs> not anymore, you know, that has changed, you know, and uh, the research is showing that more and more black people are addicted to opiates. And I think people are not realizing that. And it's sort of like a silent epidemic in the community. You know, I know we're used to the, the crack and sometimes the PCP, but we're no, we're not even aware that people are using these other drugs, the opiates. Um, so I've been definitely trying to educate more black people on uh, their exposure to it. Um, I don't know. I, it was a podcast in Atlanta and I think, uh, people are recognizing it. Well, it's, it's all over. And one of the things a lot of us see is that things vary by region and socioeconomic class. Like the, the drug of the poor shifts depending on where you are, where it's like when I'm in the Midwest and Tennessee, 
people with limited financial resources use meth. You know, when I was training in Atlanta and a lot of the time I spent in public facilities in Atlanta, if you didn't have much money, you used crack. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting going to Western Massachusetts where everybody was using heroin. And I'm like, I had a bunch of people speedballing. And for all of you out there, speedballing is using IV cocaine and heroin together. And I hadn't had somebody talk about speedballs for over 20 years. I was like, I'm like, you did what? For reals? What? that? That's what you were doing? You thought that was a good idea? Um, but I think there's so much in these discussions around, I love that you brought out the idea of shame, self-talk, the need for self-compassion along for us to be compassionate with other others to be able to help ourselves and communities move through this to end up to a place of better health. Um, because I don't think anybody wakes up deciding, I want to be an addict today. That's just That's just what I feel like doing. And I feel like one of the biggest things of our jobs is to try to figure out what is what is underneath the addiction because nobody wakes up and decides, oh, I think I want to be an alcoholic or I think I, I think I want to use crack. You know, and I think people need to realize, I actually wrote a uh, blog several years ago uh, when I first started this uh, I, with that exact title. Like I, no one woke up and said, you know, when they were five-year-old, they didn't go to their mom and said, you know what? I think I want to be strung out on um, dope, homeless, not taking showers for months. And I want you to never talk to me again, mommy, because I've stolen from you. I'm not taking care of myself. I'm, you know, no one woke up like that. You know, most kids when they're five, work they're the cutest thing. My nephews are like the cutest thing ever. They, oh. you know, like like they are like a joy. Like they don't have those uh, those. Uh, they haven't been traumatized. They, they haven't been exposed to much stuff. You know, they're pretty much protected. And they and I hope we continue to protect them. But then, what what are people being exposed to when they leave our house? And how does that affect them? You know, you know, when we talk about trauma, when we talk about uh, peer pressure and kids nowadays, Jesus Christ, uh, I just came from a kid's unit. Uh, bullying. God, that thing. Bullying is bad. I, 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 you know, I used to get talked about, you know, I used to be called crawfish, you know, because my last name is Crawford. So I'm from New Orleans. They used to call me crawfish. I used to be like, oh, you're fatty. My head is big. People, But the, the level of bullying today that our kids are exposed to and what they do in response to that bullying is completely different. You know, so um, those are some things to think about. You know, no one... Woke up in the morning and said, I want to get high today. Well, after, you know, then no one dreamt of being an addict. Yeah. And there is so much trauma out there because I did an episode with Dr. Alana Curry and there's so much trauma people have experienced to the point where it's become so normalized. They don't even realize it was trauma. Um, So I'm, I'm hoping my, my wish is that as we're able to move forward and people become more self-aware, more compassionate, have a better understanding of mental health and mental wellness and, you know, the new term mental fitness is that we're able to get to some of these underlying things before people have these humongous consequences. And none of you, just with addiction, you know, people are very judgmental when it comes to mental health in general, as if the person 
chose to have these type of symptoms or depression or anxiety, or even worse, that they chose to be schizophrenic. You know, I was reading a, a article this morning about what's her name, Lord Vornes, Ward Horse. She was on Saved by the Bell, the black girl. Oh, Lark Voorhees. Voorhees, yes. And, you know, and I always wondered where she was because I thought she was great in that show, right? And the other actors on that show pretty much had other experiences uh, or other gigs, but she kind of just disappeared. And she was so beautiful, so talented. I was like, where did she go? But anyway, so I was reading the article. You know, actually, she got diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. And it was difficult for her to get jobs because apparently, you know, when she was doing her episodes, there were times where she would be self-talking. So people were like, whoa, you know, so people wouldn't want her around. And apparently uh, she got help from Dr. Oz, Oz, apparently, with getting treatment and getting better and getting better on getting back to her career, which is great, right? But think about uh, think about that. Like, no one thinks about other people's experiences. And there's always so much stigma, like, oh, I just don't want that person around me. But if you, you may not be able to help them, but maybe you know someone who can. Yes. Preach. You're right. Preach, preacher. Preach. <laughs> So, so the summary of that is you don't have to be a psychiatrist too, to be able to support the people around you. You don't. And, and you can always get to someone like us that we are highly educated. Sometimes I feel like we're overeducated. Um, we are extremely educated and experts in this field to help people. So sometimes if you can just get them to us, we we can make things happen. Yeah, we can make things happen. We can give them the support they need. I mean, not only there's their psychiatry, there's social work, and there's a lot of other things for them to recover. Yeah. Mental health or addiction. So I heard a, a rumor that you're doing something with Suboxone. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, right. So Suboxone. Uh, so yes, I'm opening up my first clinic in Reading, PA. It's actually been a... Uh, a goal of mine for the last two years, uh, but I just didn't have any finances uh, to start a clinic that focuses on helping people get out of the addiction of opiates. Um, and I find Suboxone medication assisted treatment to be helpful. Um, so yeah, it was my first clinic. I'm looking super forward to it. Um, so besides Suboxone and Subutex and Notrexone, I also want to have a space where people with addiction can also work on their other issues. Okay. So I'm definitely going to be looking for therapists who focus on trauma, who deal with dual diagnosis, um, and also possibly, uh, uh, well, particularly the trauma, because that's one of the biggest yeah. issues I've noticed my people with addiction have, or people who have substance issues have. Um, also, I want to treat them as a whole person, you know, so I don't know how to do this. I'm still working on that, but how to make sure that they have the resource they need outside of me, you know, so I'm still working on getting the team for that, but I've been meeting some really good people, uh, who have done a lot of different things. Like I've met a lady who knows how to involve the community and get people into work sources, Mm -hmm. you know, so you know, a job is a big thing, you know, a job and a home, you know, what is it? Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yep. Maslow's hierarchy yeah. of needs. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. And I'm so glad you're doing this work because I have to look up the current statistics. But historically, Suboxone or Subutex wasn't offered as much to people of color. So people, a lot of people of color would end up skewed towards methadone um, and wouldn't have as much access to Suboxone, which just um, really frees people up to have a little bit more of a life. And it's just a different vehicle. Right. So the, the perk of Suboxone, first, it's an alternative to what they're using, the heroin, the fentanyl, the Percocets. You know, they're using six to eight pills a day. There's no way they can function. Mm-hmm. You know, versus Suboxone, you can take one to two pills a day. Also, the difference between Suboxone and methadone is you don't have to come to me every day. Right, you are free. There will be some, you know. There's other reasons why you would come to me on a more frequent basis, but you know those will be talked to about individually. But you know, methadone, they have to go there every day, and I don't wake up that early. But <laughs> you know, they got to be there. You know, six to nine. You know, most methadone clinics open six to nine. Uh, you miss your dose, you miss your dose. You know. Um, and there are ways in methadone protocol uh, where they can get to the seven day, but you're never going to get to a month of supply. Also, you know, there's so much stigma when it relates to African-Americans and substances. And I mean, they act like, I mean, I, mean, I guess I need to stay in my professional tone with that. You know, uh <laughs> You know, it's just very difficult when it comes to substance use as for an African-American or anything when it comes to African-Americans, there's a lot more stigma surrounding it and a lot more bias. Mm -hmm. You know, I would love to say that my field is absence of bias, but that's not true. Um. I wish it was, but it, it is what it is. It's part of the reason we're all doing this work (laughs) is to make it better um, because it's not. And when uh, I didn't say this, when you asked me why I wanted to be a psychiatrist, I was actually confirmed when I picked it and I realized how many people are like, well, why don't you, why do you want to deal with crazy people? It's like, well, I wouldn't call them that. That's not exactly how I see it. Um, and also I realize, you know, a lot of African-Americans don't deal with their problems or don't seek therapy. You know, there are so many people who are like, you know, well, they just need to go talk to Jesus. Like there's a lack of spirituality or, or, or commitment to God because you're suffering from depression or anxiety, but that's just not true. As we talked about, no one wakes up one morning thinking they want to be an addict. There continue to be health disparities and access to quality substance abuse treatment. And it's important to have knowledge to advocate for yourself and loved ones. This clip really broke down how important it is for all of us to be compassionate and empathic when it comes to drug and alcohol issues. Dr. Central also said something that I want to highlight. Opiates are not just a white people problem. They are issues in all communities, including the black community. This clip also further emphasized the better seven principle of support. As we talked about, no one wakes up one morning thinking that they want to be an addict. 
There continue to be health disparities in access to quality substance use treatment, and it's important to have enough knowledge to advocate for yourself and loved ones. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. Let me introduce you to Better Nation. Better Nation is the community of people that follow the Better with Dr. Erica podcast that are like you and want to be better, do better, and live better. By becoming a member of Better Nation, you also get to receive member-only bonus content to put you officially in the inner circle, show notes with timestamps so you don't have to search for your favorite moments, and some bonus free coaching tools. So visit joinbetternation.com, that's joinbetternation.com, to become a VIP and be a part of Better Nation. Better with Dr. Erica. This next clip features Dr. Renee Matthews, and she is a true Renaissance woman. Dr. Renee is a leader in the healthcare industry through media and public relations. Her show Out of Office with Dr. Renee is seen in 45,000 doctors' offices and Walgreens across the country. I love her story of how she moved from a career in traditional medicine to one in media and public relations, along with her insight with following your dreams. Let's get to the clip. So when I was younger, and you may remember, Nancy Snyder, Dr. Nancy Snyderman used to be on Good Morning America before she was on the mm -hmm. Today Show. And I used to see her and I was just like, I don't know, I, I really wanted to be her. Yes, she's this white Jewish woman, but I really wanted to be her. And I didn't know anyone that did that. And my mother didn't know anyone that did that. So mm -hmm. she's just like, okay, whatever. But my fallback was I would do OB because that's what I liked. Well, when I got on in med school, when I got out, I ended up meeting someone and I got a radio show on XM Radio. And this was before the merger. So okay. we were one channel from Oprah. And Ooh. our station, though, we were literally talking to other doctors. And that's not who I wanted to talk to. I wanted to talk to the people and help the people like Dr. Nancy Snyderman did. And so but it was a start. And um, when I did that, I was like, wow, maybe I can do this. If I, you know, went from obscurity to satellite radio, then maybe I can, you know, move on. And so then I, I was like, okay, well, I think I'm going to try this. And then I also had read Dr. Ian Smith's story and was like, okay. and he started in Chicago too, which, you know, is where I live. And so I was like, oh my God, if he could do this, then I can do this. And so that's kind of how I got the thought in my head. And um, <clears throat> may she rest in peace, Allison Payne, who was a very well-known newscaster in Chicago on WGN. She's from Detroit. Her dad was my Sunday school teacher. And he was oh, like, wow. you're in Chicago. You need to go meet with Allison because Allison like is the bee's knees when it comes to news and, you know, and all of this TV stuff. And so he's like, you got to go talk to her. And so I did. I went and met with Allison and she's like, what do you need? Like, how can I help you? Let me introduce you to such and such and such. And such. So she was really helpful. And I just started seeing that I really could kind of do what I wanted to do. And so once I got the satellite radio, I did have a regular job. And then in 2013, when my job was eliminated, everyone's like, you need to do it full time. If this is what you want to do, you got to do it. And God is good. You know, I haven't gone hungry and I'm not homeless. <laughs> not hungry, not homeless is good. Yeah. 
I appreciate living the dream. And I know a lot of my listeners out there have been dealing with, and we're not even to get into a whole conversation about in medicine, the great resignation. But there are so many times where you start on one path because you think this is the path. And then you decide, well, maybe this isn't it. What do you feel like gave you the motivation to step out on faith to leave this environment that you were so comfortable in? Because so for, for me, it was like, I really, I am somebody who before a whole lot of things, like when The Secret came on Oprah, everyone was like, Renee, how did you know? But I never had read The Secret or anything or heard anything of it. But everyone's like, but that's how you live. And that is true. And so I was like, you know what? I have always been like, life is too short to be miserable. And then you have a few things happen as you get older and you really realize life is too short to be miserable. And I was like, I know that if this is what I want to do, even though I didn't know anyone else that really did it, I was like, I can figure this out myself. And, and it was like doors just kept opening and flinging open and flinging open. And I was like, well, if the doors keep opening, then clearly I must be supposed to be on this path because I am quite the Virgo. I'm a planner. I liked my paychecks that came every other week. You know, I knew, you know, I liked that drop into my account. So for me to be an entrepreneur and to be a freelance and all of this was just totally outside of my comfort zone. But I was like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And we, we're going to do it. What advice would you have for someone else that, I hate to say a dream because, you know, they have say all these different things like dreams can be goals and you can, you know, the dreams yeah. don't have to be this elusive thing. But what advice do you have out there for, for people that really want to step out and do something new, be potentially be an entrepreneur or change careers? What do you say to people like that? What, what nuggets of wisdom do you have? I say, go for it. Because guess what? This is the only life we have. This is not a dress rehearsal, as I say every week on the Ask Dr. Renee show. You've got to do it. Whatever it is, got to do it. Secondly, now with the internet, you can figure it out. If you don't have a clue and you don't know anyone, you can figure it out. You can look at what somebody else did because you don't even have to know them. You can search the internet and see what they did. So, and the other thing is don't listen to naysayers. I mean, if you know within your heart of hearts that this is what you want to do and you know you can make it happen, you have to just have faith. And my biggest thing is do not worry about how you're going to get there. Just take the first step. Because once you take the first step, the second one will come and it'll just slowly but surely keep coming and coming and coming. And you will, next thing you know, you'll be at the finish line. But you have to just take that step and not let people, those negative voices, you know, don't if you are sitting there talking to people that are shoo-shooing and poo-pooing your dreams, you're talking to the wrong people. You need to get with like-minded people. And so there was a whole lot of doctors that thought I was crazy. But now they probably are watching me in their waiting room. <laughs> and so there was a lot of people that said I couldn't be a doctor. And so now they're, you know, and now they see me on TV, Dr. Renee, da, 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 you know. So yeah. I'm not surprised though, because we have one of those fields and we're not the only profession like this, but it's one of the reasons I kind of got ended up on that book. Um, what is it? Thinking about quitting medicine volume one is that you, you get these careers, you invest all this time and money because to be honest, a lot of people end up with a significant amount of debt. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if you go to med school, you know, you had four years of med school, then if you choose one of the specialties with short residencies in three years, so at a minimum, that's seven years. But a lot of us, it was longer than seven years. And after people have invested all this time, money and energy to end up with these careers that outside of medicine, there still is this perception like this is one of the holy grail kind of kind of um, careers or skill sets that people can't understand why you would want to do something else. And even some guilt and shame around you have this this great thing. Why would you even look to do something else? So I can I can definitely see how you'd run up on naysayers because you're also dealing with a group of people who the culture is is it's a culture of rule followers. <laughs> I mean, it is because right. that's how you get there, especially the age we are when we trained. We aren't we aren't these super young millennials that were challenging the system. We were we were trained in the see one, do one, teach one. I tell you what to do. You do it. You don't question <laughs> if it's getting coffee, if it's if it's rolling someone to x-ray, if it's taking someone's blood, if it's just sitting here 20 minutes looking stupid, whatever someone tells you, you do, you do. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can definitely see how if you're in this culture of we follow the rules we have this set path. This is how you're supposed to do things. To come off that path is going to seem foreign to almost everyone else on it because that's literally the entire culture you were steeped in to even be successful and make it to the finish line. Yeah, it's great. It's I mean, and it's it's no fault to them. And I really, because I'm one of those people that it just doesn't bother me. I'm just like, okay, it's okay. You can't see it. It's all right. I can see it, you know. And actually. Um, Dr. Dre and Jay Stone did an intervention and that's how I ended up in Jay's mastermind. I was in her first mastermind. Wow. And, I didn't know that. Yes. And she, um, they were like, you need to do that. And I'm just like, it was at breakfast in Atlanta one morning and I was like, Lord have mercy, what is going on? And so I thought about it and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And Jay is the person that said, you know, you know what you're doing when it comes to building a brand, PR and all of that stuff. But doctors don't know how to do that. You should do PR for doctors. And that's when because I did have an entertainment company that solely what we did was we mm -hmm. worked with entertainers. We pivoted. And then then I started working with physicians solely. Well, not I will say medical professionals, for the most part, I think all the all the pay, all of my clients so far have been doctors. But. I know that potentially I'll have some others that aren't necessarily doctors, but yeah. Well, and I love that you, you brought this out because that's the other thing is a lot of times there's all this free content. If there's one thing that was great from the pandemic, I swear there is so much content and information floating around for free. I mean, literally you could attend, you could attend free masterclasses in clubhouse. I mean, it, it's been nuts and everyone's been trying to get people. So they're just giving away free content everywhere. But she mentioned Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre is actually one of my coaches. And especially when you're looking to do something new or you feel like what you're doing isn't really aligned or in your purpose or what should be the, the season that you're moving into, because sometimes what we what our spirit tells us to do may be different in a season that something may be perfect for this season. And next season, it's 
is not perfect anymore. And that's the one thing I would say for all of you out there. You know, I talk about how to be better, do better and live better and how to get that better life is one of the better seven is support is using that to when you're looking to change directions. I don't want to say the word pivot because I feel like pivot was totally overused in the pandemic. (laughs) But when you want to do something else. Right. is it's great to have coaches and people that can have other experiences and can see past what you may see as limits and some of what you see because you are going to you have vision with your own experiences where someone else may almost be able to have like a helicopter view and mm-hmm. you have like the view of like the little mouse in the maze and all you can see is what's right tunnel in front vision. of you tunnel vision And that's one of the reasons I love coaches and I recommend if you're out there and you're doing something and this ends up being a conversation that happens a lot around professions and professional things. But I also had um, previously a guest, Chiquita Dent, that does coaching um, that also helps divorced women is that there are a lot of different roles and shifts that people do that aren't simply professional, that it may just be trying to figure out what your purpose is or what's going to really make you happy. And there are lots of roles for coaches, even in personal things beyond Mm -hmm. just professional, because a lot of times there's this urge to change and evolve. It's part of human nature. And one of the things I love about Dr. Renee is that she's always been so brave to move with those urges when the natural inclination for a lot of people is to rebuff (laughs) those urges or to try to ignore them because I hear so much. And as a doctor, I talk to a lot of doctors and health professionals just because that's I have friends that aren't, but I do know a lot of doctors and health professionals. And there are so many people, even in the speaking I do, is that people get stuck in spaces because they're used to the devil they know Mm -hmm. and are afraid of the devil that you don't know. And one of the reasons I want to have Dr. Renee on here is I don't want any of you out there to be limited out of what boils down to fear and doubt. Because as Dr. Renee said, you can't get time back. And nobody likes to have regrets. Right. I learn something new every time I hear clips from this episode. Do you hear a theme with that Better 7 principle of support? It's also essential to have the Better 7 principle of silence to create the space to get in touch with your vision for your life and ways to get there. I love how this conversation highlights the importance of not letting fear get in the way of your blessings. It's amazing what you can do when you take fear out of the driver's seat or even the passenger seat. We don't want it in any of the front seats. We only have one life to live, and I'm here to help you make the most of it. This reminds me of a poem that I frequently reference by Benjamin E. Mays. I figure that it's time to finally tell it to you. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give account if I abuse it, 
just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. So, you know, I have to share a little something something every now and then. Next up is Dr. Jada Moore Ruffin. She is another one of those people that seems to do all of the things. Let me tell you why. Dr. Jada is a nationally recognized weight loss specialist, wellness expert, and successful entrepreneur with an award-winning weight loss center and thriving coaching practice. You're going to want to listen closely as we have this conversation about managing energy, finding joy, and claiming wellness. On to the clip. Better with Dr. Erica. I want you to have some tools to be able to not just survive, but to potentially still thrive in an environment that externally is not the healthiest. Absolutely. And I love how you framed all of what's going on around us. And very often as energetic being and as spiritual beings, no matter what your level of identity and spirituality is, is that you are connecting to what's going on around you, whether intentionally or not. And so what I believe is so important is for us to, one, get into the awareness of that connection and two, decide how we want to connect whether we want to be a part of the um, the problem or be a part of the solution. And when I say be a part of the problem, uh, I, I really want to break that down and say we can continue to add energy into what is already energetically alarming or disparaging. Or we can say, where can I take my best energy, intercept where it could go, be intentional and directed around where I choose for it to go for the greater good that can cause that can be caused because of the effect that I have in the in the universe or in my life or in the life of others. And so that's where I like to kind of redirect or reframe, if you will. I'm sure you do that a lot, mm. but just energetically redirecting ourselves because it can become so overwhelming that you lose sight of your own personal interests, your own personal desires or personal power. I totally agree. And one of the ways I like to look at, there are a lot of different frameworks to look at energy. And especially in this time where everyone is dealing with almost a crisis of capacity is I like to look at it as a bucket and you have this bucket. And one thing that fuels your bucket is naturally putting things in or putting energy into your bucket. But at the same time, stuff is coming out of your bucket. And you want to have more things going in so that your bucket stays full versus everything's just a drain or a pull. And the other kind of variable is think of it like a sieve. How big are the holes in the bottom of the bucket? In times of crisis or drama or overwhelm, the holes are potentially larger. And what we want to do is help you make it so you're able to fill your energetic bucket and have enough coming in and equalize the equation so you have more coming in than going out so that you're not totally depleted. I want to shift gears just slightly. Dr. Jada, why do you think people need to make wellness a priority? Wellness has to be a priority because your wellness. And in fact, let me extend that to say your well-being is what allows you 
to have or what allows us to have so that we can be at our best at the same time. So let me let me say that again. And I want to even borrow a bit of your analogy just a moment ago about filling the bucket. I agree that we get to decide what we fill the bucket with and the bucket should be full. I also challenge us to think of what are we filling the bucket with and how much of that are the things that I want in the bucket. So that, you know, because we can fill our bucket with work, we can fill our bucket with um, think tasks, we can fill our bucket with um, responsibilities, many of them that relate to other people. What I like to see us fill our bucket with, or it's certainly to include in our bucket, is what fuels me, what fuels you, what excites me, what delights me. What makes me happy? I feel like a lot of times we we have gotten away from um, that understanding and that relationship of happiness with self. And when we do that, a lot of the things that we do, we end up doing out of obligation or something like that. So I believe that we are we are best when we are well and our well-being is first because when we fill that bucket with the things that fill us up then it never seems like we are well it doesn't seem as though we're depleting as quickly because we don't want it to go away we want to continue to fill the bucket with the things that fill us up and we get to decide you ever watch a kid go through a a toy box and they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're looking in that toy box for the one little thing that's about this yeah. big and it's at the very, very bottom. But they know exactly what's in that basket that will make them happy. And so that's what I challenge us to think about when we think about wellness and our well-being as a priority. And I agree because I'm also a fan. When I look, think of the bucket, it's more of kind of the energy in the bucket. And for a lot of people, work work is not necessarily energy increasing. For a lot of people, work is actually an energy drain. So for a lot of folks, work is actually something that decreases energy, not increasing your personal energy. So I definitely agree. It's it's filling your emotional and your energy bucket with things that are going to actually feel fulfilling, joyful, peaceful, or, or feel more positive. Because the one thing is, is it's one of the reasons we all do this work is life ends up being so full of stuff. It's full of these tasks for survival. For a lot of people, it's full of work that may not actually be that fulfilling. It can be full of all these obligations Dr. Jada just referred to. And that's where we get to that point of talking about people that you're you're giving and giving and giving, but you're not giving to yourself to the point where it's almost like you become either an extra or at most a supporting character in your own story. And for me, that's one of the reasons I say put you back in your life because I want you to be the main character instead of all of your actions and everything in your life by being driven by all these external factors that have absolutely nothing to do directly with you. And you deserve to actually have your life revolve around your needs. It's not necessarily being selfish and not being present for others or taking care of your family or being socially responsible. 
but no one else can live your life for you. No one is going to live your life. So if your life is just literally given to just being a taskmaster or the person doing the task, most likely you're not going to get that fulfilling feeling or that feeling of joy and it's not going to help your personal resilience. Yeah. And I think that's a difficult thing for people who are accustomed to that way of life in their right now. Um, that is, that's a big leap to go from putting everyone first to putting myself first. Math- mathematically, that doesn't add up. If I can put everyone, certainly I'm doing a greater service to the earth if I can put, you know, 10 people in front of my one self. So that notion of self self-sacrificing does not feel really abnormal, doesn't feel wrong, and therefore doesn't feel like it's in the face of correction or that there's any need to look at that. So that can be a big, big leap for some people. So rather for me, as I coach people who may be in that place and space is, how can you first be in the awareness of even what matters to you? Because in a lot of situations, we get so distanced from our own personal um, happiness, our own personal joy, our own personal preferences, our likes and our dislikes. And sometimes we even dismiss them when we know what they are because they may not serve others as much as it would serve us. So I say take baby steps. It's just to get to know yourself in that way. And begin to give yourself permission to just want to put yourself first. Just just in your own world, just play with it. Just play with, if I were first today, what exactly would I do? What would I do if I were first today? And just play with it. I feel like we spend so much time adding so much heaviness to our list that sometimes we can just play with things and we can, as they, as they say, kind of fall forward into it just through play. We are making it through this episode and you're doing a great job of investing in yourself to get all of this great information. Did you hear all of the talk around how to protect, maintain, and nurture your energy? You've got this. Don't be hard on yourself because energy and boundary management takes practice and changes over time. As you heard, just like you prioritize work in your family, You need to prioritize yourself and your wellness. You deserve it and you are taking steps toward prioritizing yourself and putting you back into your life by listening to this podcast. Investing in your wellness can do almost miraculous things for your mental health. And you know how I feel about good mental health. Next up is Dr. Lakeisha, or should I say her full government name, Dr. Lakeisha McMillan. She has a superpower of making anything seem simple. Dr. Lakeisha is an integrative OBGYN, speaker, and author that specializes in helping women get their hormones balanced, regain mental sharpness, and have energy all day. Doesn't that sound like some good stuff? Stay tuned to hear about why it's important for everyone to participate in women's health and how the recent assaults on reproductive health can have real-life consequences for women that are menopausal and perimenopausal. I'll see you on the other side of this clip. Better with Dr. Erica. I was, um, a memory came to me about an article I read a couple years ago that was talking about how when women involve their male partners in this 
phase of life in discussions with them and start having discussions with them that it literally helps them. They did a small survey, their own little, not a true study, but it was like a survey and they got, um, you know, they gathered this information, this data. It looked like those that involved their partners actually had a smoother transition into perimenopause and menopause. Their symptoms were not as severe. And the ability to make decisions concerning their medical care was what they actually made that quicker because they had discussions and were able to mm-hmm. have somebody help them to sift through and go through the, the pros and the cons. So it wasn't when you are just kind of isolated and singled by yourself there is that apprehension. You're not sure who else to bounce things off of. You know, sometimes it does when that isolation comes. But like you said, it doesn't have to be a male partner. It could be the males in your community, in your sphere, in your in your household, in your who who you believe is a a good friend, you know, someone that is a a confidant, just being able to have these conversations and be validated by, like you said, non-female identifying people is very critical. And so what happens is their minds get expanded. They now say, okay, they don't start, they do not continue to perpetuate the, oh, she's just, you know, up, she's crazy, or don't worry about her or leave her by herself. You know, something's wrong with her. It is now a, oh, hey, let's help. Let's make sure that she's taken care of, that she has everything she needs so that she can be functional in society. I hear you. I totally hear you. So as we we talk about women's health and reproductive health, um, we've all been kind of reeling, dealing with the Supreme Court deciding they were going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And one of the huge things that's been coming up in these conversations is the implications that are outside of simply saying someone can't get an abortion. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. And we're not going to go into that. We could talk about this for hours because there are so Absolutely. many nuggets and corners of this issue. But I, I wanted to have a conversation with you around what are some of those things or ways that this verdict can impact people you work with or mm-hmm. or just women that are a bit older? Because I think sometimes people will immediately think, well, this is about abortion. This is a young people thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even though, you know, we're seasoned, we're not old. Yes, yes. I love that. I love that. We are seasoned. I love that. You know, when, even before the decision was officially announced, right? I had been um, in the space of hearing how just in my world, how women's health was being impacted. And I'm going to get back to your question, but we're going to get to it this way. So what I do is I help women, like I said, balance their hormones. There are times where a woman will need bioidentical hormone therapy. And that is different from the hormone therapy that was studied in the WHI study that came out in 2002. And bioidentical hormones are usually made in a compounding pharmacy because they're not made at a, on a large scale, manufactured scale. And the beauty of this is that you can really customize the dosing. Okay. And this is where the, the, this is the crux of it. Because 
everybody's different, right? And so eight milligrams uh, you know, of testosterone for you, say in a cream form, may not be the right milligrams for me. Okay. But when you make it on a big scale, they usually have to make certain, they have to make it at certain uh, concentrations in batches. Got it. Okay. So when I call my compounding pharmacist, that is amazing. And I go, hey, I have a new prescription I want to call in. This is what I want to do. And if I want, I can actually even ask them to not put certain preservatives in it. Mm-hmm. because I know that this person may have a sensitivity to that. And so that may interfere with the body's ability to break these molecules down and actually use them efficiently. So there has already been a small mounting campaign to actually shut down compounding pharmacies. There is a narrative out there that's saying compounding pharmacies are not as up to standard as your chain pharmacies. And so that has already been rumbling. Now with Roe versus Wade overturn, you now, and everybody is saying there's so many different like side streets now, now that we've, you know, kind of knocked down this, 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 uh, this wall. There's so many side streets that everybody can go off of. And there's so many different um, other other statutes that, that are now open for interpretation and discussion and being overturned. My concern now is that now you're not only going to be able to dictate a woman's reproductive rights as she's in that reproductive age, but you now have the ability and, and to, to come in at the end of my life, where I'm going to spend a majority of my life, a third of my life in perimenopause and menopause, you now could potentially impact what types of, of options are available for me to feel balanced and to get what I need so that my body can function at a level that is optimal so that I can still function in society. So here's the thing. Say that CEO, that woman that's in the C-suite, she's now going through perimenopause. She's now suffering from lowering testosterone because your testosterone kind of starts dipping in your 30s and your 40s first before you start trailing off with the estrogen and progesterone. Well, you, and that's there's a whole, you know, whole different discussion yeah. around that. Now she cannot run the C-suite like she used to. She may, may even have troubles getting up in the morning because she's not getting the sleep at night because her progesterone and testosterone and estrogen aren't working together to help get her cortisol up so that she can wake up and feel rested. So now she's coming in late. Now she can't really get things together because her brain is foggy. The, the reports that she used to look at and run off with ease and tell everybody what to do, now it's looking like Greek and it's looking a little jumbled. Now she doesn't even have the ability to go to her physician, go to someone that can help her get her hormones balanced so that she can feel better and actually function at a level that can help her to still be an asset to the institution that she is a part of because you know what? She has institutional wisdom. Mm-hmm. So, so this is the slippery slope that I've been looking at is like, you're not only having the ability to dictate what can happen in my young years, 
but now you may also have the ability to dictate what can happen as I get older and I could really be more of an asset to society if I had the tools to be able to make sure that my body worked right. Preach. <laughs> and and one of the reasons I think it's important for, for people to really learn what's going on mm-hmm. is, is part of the issue is this is what happens when health and the right of your body is legislated by people that don't actually understand it. And one of the things that happens, especially when we're looking at reproductive rights and women's health is, you know, there's kind of this core group of hormones and stuff that do most of the work. Right. You right, have right. This, this core group of organs that do mm-hmm. most of the work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there, what's happening is so many things are getting, they're kind of adjacent that are all getting impacted because yes, they're like, yes, well, this is related to pregnancy. So you can't do it at all. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh. You said it. I, I love the way you just said that. And this is what I tell, tell women all the time. Tell people that are listening, you are connected. Unfortunately. I mean, I love medicine. That's why I went, I love medicine. I'm a doctor. I went into this because it, it is a love of my, I love understanding how the body works, but we have done such a good job of dismembering the body. Everybody takes their little segment, which is fun because you got to take deep dives, right? But then we just look at our our area, just our area. You know, women used to come to me and all I would do is pelvic exam, maybe breast exam if it's your annual exam or you came in and had a had a concern. But if they came in and said to me, you know, my period's been wacky over the last like three months or so. And I don't know what's going on. It's it's come, it's gone. And then if I took a step back and said, okay, what happened in your life three months ago? What changed? They would look at me like, what does that have to do with anything? That has everything to do with everything. Because if you're stressed, if your adrenals have now kicked in, they are then going to dictate and hijack the system. Your body's going to say, why have sex have fun reproduce? Please shut that down. Uh, you don't need to do that. We got to make sure you're surviving. And so being able to understand, just like you said, that even though you have a primary job as a hormone, there are other areas that can be impacted by what's going on. And so I'm glad you brought up that point. Well, I feel like as we talk about this, it reminds me, I love Marvel. I'm a sci-fi junkie. And all I can think of is every version of multiverses and timelines. Yes, yes. And, and I feel like this is the reproductive health uh, multiverse of madness. Yes, it's. I've gotten into it too because of my kids. And it's so funny because I actually, okay, side street, y'all. So I actually watched Loki. That, um, that Yes, I was thinking of Loki, but I wasn't going to Oh my gosh. Say, be like and be like your um, uterus is now taking um, being controlled by Kang. Yes, yes, yes. That is such a great metaphor. I love this. I love it. I love it. <laughs> because you're so. 
so when all you start taking off all these little side streets, everything is connected. I want you to understand that. And and like you said, those that are that do not identify as female need to understand this. Like it's not just our issue. This affects just like how I said we dismember the body and we forget about how it impacts all the other systems. You have to understand how me not feeling good impacts you. We are not islands and we are interconnected and there is a network of connection and we have to understand how this, this particular, you know, somebody will say, well, what, you getting hormone? I mean, what does that do for me? It, it does a lot. It does a lot because then I can show up the way I'm supposed to, and I can give and be of service and be of an asset to the community at large, to my smaller community, to my community at large, to the world even. Well, and and one of the things I love about this portion of this conversation, and we're about to do one more transition, y'all, is is the fact that it's, if we don't address these issues correctly, Then it's like any other thing. You end up right back in the dark ages where it's like, well, you just need to do better. You need to not have hot flashes. Why you got an attitude? Why didn't you get this done? Blah, 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 blah. My wife gets on my nerves. I don't like working with these women. And, you know, and it's right back to the same thing even – as physicians, I feel like we all have to do a better job of conversations around weight, exercise, and eating. Because <laughs> yes, you hear so many yes. people, they told me just to exercise, but I'm tired. You know, and it's like there's there's so much guilt and shame around so many different things that Ooh, we could talk about that. That's a whole other episode. Dr. Yeah, so that yes, just being yes, able yes. to support each other. And one of the mm-hmm. things I noticed, and to me, is a huge thing when we're talking about kind of this perimenopause menopause situation mm-hmm. is is number one having in your care team an OBGYN that actually really understands it and can yes. really be collaborative, talk to you and really listen to what's going on with you and your body and your life. Do you do you suggest any other tools or things that you think are helpful or that people need to do? Oh, absolutely. So you know, the social media can be a two-edged sword, right? But you can find a lot of great information um, in some of certain certain segments, right? Um, so if you look for, there are groups that women, you know, that come together that may have the same symptoms as you, and they'll give you some great resources. Um, there are certain, you know, physicians that are actually on TikTok or on Instagram um, that are giving out great information. There are books out there that have some great information in there. And so the more that you, the more information you can get as far as it being relatable to you and you going, oh, are you having that moment of validation? you know, that, that moment of validation, I think, um, that that's the word that my husband actually used yesterday. We were talking about a situation Mm -hmm. and I was saying, you know, I'm just so glad that this person I was talking to, um, 
gave me a moment to, I, I felt like I could breathe after they gave me their, their interpretation of the situation. And he said, you felt validated. And I said, yes. I mean, it, it, I was looking for that word, but when you feel validated, doesn't something almost release in you? It's almost like you can finally take a breath. And so finding information now, I'm, I'm always, of course, I said, be careful, look at your sources that you're looking at. You know, we love to dive down into blogs. I tell my patients all the time, when you go to Dr. Google and you start going down your rabbit holes, you know, make sure that you are looking at your sources, looking at who, what you're actually reading. I'm still in shock with everything going on with women's health and reproductive rights. Even more has happened since we recorded that original podcast. One of the biggest takeaways is the better seven principles support. You notice how that one just keeps coming up? This came up when we were talking about women's health issues such as infertility, fibroids, and miscarriages. And now we're talking about it again with menopause and perimenopause. You can't go to sleep at the wheel with all of these issues. Because even if you don't identify as a woman, you have mothers, sisters, nieces, daughters, cousins, female friends, female co-workers, and the list goes on. To allow women to actually be healthy in this country, it will take strong allies. This information is also important for you to be able to advocate for yourself and your loved ones. I can't believe the episode is over. <laughs> I just don't want to say goodbye. Thanks for hanging out with me. You had a zillion options of podcasts you could listen to, but you chose this one. I feel all of the virtual love. Next, I need to give you a big virtual round of applause for choosing to make some space and to have some time just for you. You did it. You might be wondering what my ending thought is. Are you ready? Here it goes. If you don't prioritize your health and wellness, who will? That's what I got. On that note, it's time to really wrap this episode. I need to ask you some tiny favors. If you like what you heard, please share the podcast. Share it with all of your peeps. Also, keep please subscribe or follow. This will give you notifications so you'll know exactly when new episodes and bonuses release because you know I like some bonuses. The last thing is can you please rate and review? Thanks in advance. All of this helps me get you better content. And one more thing, take your left hand, put it on your right arm, take your right hand, put it on your left arm, give yourself a big squeeze because you deserve a hug. Okay, <laughs> I'm really leaving now. Until next time, have a better day. Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, Tap on that subscribe or follow button, then click share and click rate and review. Now, don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible. But I appreciate hearing your feedback. Check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better, live better. Better with Dr. Erica. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. 
there's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.